You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Episode 48 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network at Kent State Pond, at B. McCarthy 95, at Leafs Pod, at Hockey Pod Net. And a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's playoff time, which means bigger stakes and bigger promotions. Every day of the basketball playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part is it's free to get your shot at the daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. What do we want you to do? Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page and get your free shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Brendan, I am feeling energized today because we are one day out. We're recording this on Wednesday, May 19th. One day out from Game 1 of Montreal and Toronto. Hooray. Hooray. Hooray, indeed. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Kenneth. I know at this point, I'm just kind of like, let's just get let's get going. It's been the longest week of eternity, it seems. But uh, what a start to the postseason. I mean... You've got it all. Old-time hockey, fights, overtime. Hell, four of the first five game ones went to overtime. That, uh, we, were, we were talking about the uh, Florida-Tampa Bay game one. What an absolute crapshoot. That could have gone to OT as well. So thrilling, thrilling theater 
uh, to I, begin a, a unique season, postseason. I really feel for the Florida Panthers. Uh, they had, I thought, a real shot to set the tone, jump out to an early advantage over the defending Stanley Cup champions. Um, they missed an opportunity, and now they find themselves down 2 nothing. Uh, this was a series that I really thought Florida had an opportunity to knock off the defending cup champs. And now they find themselves in a 2-0 hole. And uh, with that playoff battle-hardened group on the other side for Tampa Bay, that's going to be a really difficult one to climb out of. Yeah, Br- Braden Point is, is so clutch in the playoffs. Remember last year he had the, the thrilling overtime, fifth overtime winner against Columbus. And he uh, pulls off a remarkable backhand move, five-hole on Sergei Bobrovsky so that that series is, is going to be a bloodbath as we as many predicted but one thing that's been pissing me off really the Montreal and Toronto series is the matchup and it's easy to to say the matchup in the the other Canadian tilt tilt which goes tonight Edmonton and Winnipeg it's Game McDavid one. versus Shifley but people are hammering home that it's Matthews versus Philip Deneau and I, I think that's just complete <laughs> lunacy because Obviously, on paper, it's a much it's a much different matchup in terms of like high flying offense and skill. But let's not equate that as the matchup of the series. You know what I mean? No, the I'd say primarily, uh, especially given the way that the season went and given the history between these two rivals, the biggest point that the NHL is going to be able to market is going to be Montreal versus Toronto. We've already heard the narrative, you know, millions of times to this point, uh, 1979, the last two teams, the time these two teams met in the postseason, uh, obviously two of the most storied franchises in league history, uh, multitude of cups between the two franchises. But outside of that, the matchup is very lopsided for Toronto. How often have we talked about for the past five years, 10 years, that Montreal just hasn't been able to find that top level tier talent. Like they've always been a good team. They've been a competitive team. But outside of the guy in net, who I would argue we'll get into the details for him in a little bit, but I don't think he's been particularly strong this year. They don't have any star power in Montreal. Toronto's got two big guns down the middle in Austin Matthews and John Tavares, and they are going to pose a multitude of problems for the Montreal Canadiens, more so than they did already in all the regulation matchups this season. Carey Price, uh, quickly, apparently in practice today, he let in like a, a weak goal and, and broke his stick, slammed it against the post. I don't know if he was just kind of doing that because he knew the cameras were on him and he was just trying to like, you know, I mean, it's leading sports center right now. So you did something, Carey. But uh, I think it's more Matthews versus a, a couple of guys, that being Carey Price, if he can, you know, be turning into, I don't know, early 2010 carry price and Shea Weber you look like he's ready to go he's gonna have to um, up his level of play if he wants to at least try to contain AM34 well our boy Dom at the athletic put together an excellent excellent piece if you don't subscribe there already like it's only a couple bucks I believe like a month or a year or whatever Uh, excellent excellent writing at their fingertips he did a preview that basically just outlines this whole series every aspect of it the players in and out Uh, very impressive stuff uh when I look at like the matchups, though, based off his numbers and his metrics, and then you equate that as well to the eye test that we've seen this season, I mean, it really what it comes down to is you can make a you could maybe make a point that the bottom six for both these teams are a wash, and that's that's comparable. But the Toronto is just so top heavy in their top six. I believe they have five players that have an expected 
win rates or win above replacement rates that are equatable to the Canadiens' whole roster. And that's, uh, I believe, Morgan Riley, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, um, Jake Muzzin, and William Nylander. And with those five players, they are expected to get more wins than Montreal's whole roster. So that just shows you how top-heavy Toronto is compared to Montreal. Uh, we've noted many times before that Toronto dominated the season series against the Habs 7-2-1. And, and though if you expand that over the last four years, it's basically they've won 2-1. to one over Montreal. They've just dominated the halves of late. And, you know, an interesting decision from, I don't know if it's coming down from Mark Bergevin or Dominic Ducharme, the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, but they're bunch benching a number of their young players. Um, Sperry Kokaniemi, Cole Caulfield, and Alexander Romanov all expected to be out of the lineup for game one. Uh, what was your reaction to the young studs for the Canadiens seeing the bench? Really shocked for two of three, that being Cole Caulfield and Romanov. Really like these two guys. They've proven that they can play consistently and earn a spot consistently in the Habs lineup. Kakaniemi had a rough season, Kenny. He wasn't producing that well. He was a, a top, top prospect a couple of years ago. and Number three overall. Number three overall. Thank you. And it was just a bust. It was a bust season for Kakaniemi. So maybe it's a message from Dominique Ducharme saying, hey, you know what, every every game in the regular season is a privilege, but when you get to, you know, game one and game two, you got to absolutely earn that and make me or convince me that you should be in there for the for the opening lineup for for the first game against the Leafs. But Kakaniemi, I get, but Caulfield, I was a little shocked about. And Romanov has, has played considerably well on the back end. So not sure why you're keeping two of those three guys out. Well, it's interesting because... Like, I thought that a number of those young players had a big impact on the roster this season. I agree with you with Kokaniemi, and I actually heard a funny anecdote from Ray Ferraro about uh, him the other day. He said that Ducharme was talking about Kokaniemi's game, and he equated it to when you're trying to hit a nail into a piece of wood, and you kind of hit it, and the nail gets bent. And then rather than trying to straighten it out or whatever, you just keep hitting it and trying to get it to go into the <laughs> yeah. hole, and it just Make keeps it getting work. more and more bent. He's like, that's where Kokaniemi's game is. Like, yeah. It's just is it's not working right now. He's obviously in his head, uh, thinking too much, and he doesn't look like a confident player right now. He certainly doesn't look like a number three overall draft pick. Our good friend who we talk about all the time, Ross Levitan, uh, is joyous to point out that the Canadiens passed on Brady Kachuk. And I've lamented in the past that I'm happy that Kachuk is actually on the Senators rather than the Canadiens because this guy would be a real pain in the ass. I know that Ottawa is going to be a good team. I actually saw the cover of the Hockey News at Shoppers Drug Mart uh, today, and it was uh, showcasing the Sens and a lot of their young stars, whether it's Kachuk, whether it's Shane Pinto, whether it's Thomas Shabbat. Uh, very bright future for them. But the young players for Montreal, obviously they've chosen to go for a more veteran lineup. Uh, now whether they stick with that through the whole series remains to be seen. If you lose the first two games, you know, four to two, three to one, then you got to figure Caulfield's coming in to try to jumpstart this offense because that's been the plight for Montreal for the majority of the season was that they aren't able to score despite being a tough checking, physical, you know, dominant possession wise team. And the storyline for the Habs solely this week has been, well, they're a scrappy physical team and it's going to be a similar type style of play that Columbus threw out against the Leafs last year but i love the responses from keith and the players being like yeah that's great like we, we know we're watching film we know what they bring but we also are a physical gritty team now in in the difference nine months ten months make 
Nick Foligno, Wayne Simmons. Like, they're not going to stand for Corey Perry and the crease, you know, hacking away at Campbell or, you know, the likes of, I guess, Gallagher is, is like series or game time decision if he's going to play. But guys like that, you know, th- there's going to be more pushback now from these uh, key additions, key gritty additions on the leaf. So it, it's, I'm, I'm excited for puck drop, man. And it's, it keeps kind of swirling around my head that I could see the Habs maybe just sneaking out one game in Toronto. But I know we we were taught for uh, analysis over prediction, but I got the Leafs in five, Kenny, just simply put. I don't know where you st- where you stand, but... Yeah, basically the same spot. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I would be hard-pressed not to give Toronto the edge in a sweep against Montreal. I think they're that much better of a team than the Canadians. I would lean towards the Leafs in five as well, just because you figure playoffs, uh, carry price, whatever they could probably sneak out one game. It's your division rival. Obviously there's going to be a, it's going to be a heated, heated contest the whole way through, but I just can't see Montreal being able to knock Toronto off. And BMAC, I gotta be honest, if Gallagher doesn't dress in game one, I think that Toronto is going to steamroll Montreal right out of the gates. This guy is so important to the Canadiens lineup, not only because of his effect on the ice, but just the energy he brings to the room. He's the heartbeat of that group. And without him in the lineup for game one, they're going to be in big trouble. Uh, So certainly we give the edge for the forward grouping to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Where do you stand on the edge as far as like the defense pairings are heading into this series? I would tend to lean towards Toronto as well. I think their top four has been outstanding for most of the year and especially down the stretch. It's interesting. I'm going to give this slight edge to, to Toronto as well, but I mean, Montreal, that's why I was confused why Romanoff wasn't at least with the bottom pairing because the most consistent defenseman for them this year has been Jeff Petrie. Unfortunately, Weber has had to deal with countless of injuries, but, and you got Joel Edmondson as well and Ben Trott. So a decent, decent top four, but I think in, in terms of depth, like Bogosian, before we started recording, I, I heard uh, via Sheldon Keefe, or sorry, via Kristen Shelton, she was saying that Sheldon Keefe said that Gozen looks good and confident that he's going to be ready to go for game one. So that just kind of further uh, solidifies and rounds out the Leafs' decor. One other thing, too, where the Leafs have the edge is, is the, the coaching. I mean, last year, Sheldon Keefe, a bit of an intimidating um, uh, way to, to start your first uh, NHL coaching postseason experience by taking on John Tortorella. And now he's got a, a young interim coach who who knows if he'll be around next year in Dominique Ducharme. So I'm sure he's learned from the past uh, taking on John Tortorella and, and trying to deal with his tactics. And now I think Keith has to kind of drive home his coaching style to, to outlast Ducharme style, if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. Uh, I think that Keith is still, although he's had success and uh, other levels, obviously, uh, had success at the AHL level, taking uh, the Toronto Marlies all the way to the Calder Cup. I do think that there is still, like, these are two relatively unexperienced coaches as far as the NHL is concerned. Like, Sheldon Keefe, uh, obviously appointed yeah. midway through last season. This is first full season, not even a full A2 game season. Uh, Ducharme has been, has played, in, or has coached, rather, at higher levels at the junior level. Obviously, he's held places of importance for Team Canada, the juniors. Uh, but I don't think that there's a distinct advantage one way or the other. I'd say maybe the assistant coaches in Toronto might give you the edge. Uh, you like your point. Uh, Mal, you like Malhun Holtra a lot uh, on the bench. You like uh, McLean 
We have we've we've talked about Hackstall. a former Jack Adams award winner, Hackstall. Uh, that's where I think the real advantages for Toronto, and they're going to need to tap into that. The depth on the, the bench. Yeah, the, te- the depth behind depth the, bench. the bench. Hey, listen, it's one place that Toronto can always, well, not that Montreal has any less resources than Toronto, but it's one area that Toronto can always flex their muscle is they can open up the checkbook and sign these assistant coaches to massive deals where they could come in and just be comfortable and just focus on one area in particular rather than having to be the front man for the whole show. And I think that that's been really advantageous for this team this season. And it's been like the difference has been noticeable in the way that this team plays the game now. Like we talk about all the time, they're, they're harder defensively. They are a more physical group. Uh, they just seem to play playing with the level of intensity on a night in night out basis. And I think that just to get back to the original point of the discussion, when we look at the decor, I really like the top pairing or the top couple guys for um, Montreal, I should say. Like Weber, I think, has been one of the best players on the ice against Toronto this season when they're playing five-on-five. Petrie's offensive numbers have been really impressive this year. I think he's taken great steps forward, a really nice defenseman. Uh, After that, there's a little bit of a drop-off for me. And even when I look at Toronto's third pairing, you mentioned that Zach Bogosian uh, potentially could be back for game one. That's a big addition for Toronto. Um, Rasmus Sandin, I think we haven't seen him in a couple of games because of the salary cap issues. So they had to send him back down for a little while. I thought his game has been outstanding and he's going to be a really effective player. Also gives you a different option on the power play. If Morgan Riley's struggling, you could toss Rasmus Sandin up there and give it the group a little bit of a different look. Now remains to be seen. We haven't seen Sandin really take over for Riley on the top power play unit, but I certainly give the decor for Toronto, the edge. Uh, goaltending, where do you stand? Because Carey Price hasn't been Carey Price this year. But then again, when you look on the other side, Jack Campbell, I believe, although had an outstanding year, what was it, 18-2-2, two and 17-2-2, two, two and two, something like that was his uh, record by the end of the season. He hasn't had a ton of playoff starts or success either. The edge has to go to Montreal. And I know it's been uh, uh up and down season for Price, but... It's it definitely has to be Montreal, simply put. Yeah, but even if you like Hutchin or not Hutchinson, back up Toronto goalies on the line. Even if you like Campbell and the way that he's played, I feel like if you're looking at it as a tandem system, and if you think that the secondary goalies might need to come into play, I certainly have more faith in the backup for Montreal, Jake Allen, than I do in Frederick Anderson at this point in time. So if for some reason, if there's an injury or if, you know, somebody's just getting shelled right out of the gate and they need to make a switch, I would feel more confident uh, from the Montreal perspective with Price and then having Allen as the backup than for Toronto having Campbell and then having Anderson as the backup. Uh, Having said that, I don't want to sit here and sounds like I'm unappreciative of Jack Campbell. I think he's been outstanding this year. I think he's going to give the team the best chance to win. And to be quite frank, I haven't seen anything out of his game to suggest that it's going to take a step back in the playoffs. But you never know. Goaltending's a fickle position, a lot going on between the ears. And there's a lot of pressure on the Toronto Maple Leafs franchise and this group for what they haven't been able to achieve over the last four to five seasons. And unfor- fairly or unfairly, because of the nature of the position, a lot of that pressure is going to go straight, straight onto the shoulders of Jack Campbell. And the reason I give a short answer for Price is because yes, you can talk about the the poor regular season stats, but this is a guy who just percentage this year, Brendan. Yeah, but this is a guy. 
this is a guy can who just turns it on right away for the playoffs and is just a menace. And he realizes he's like, I am effectively the captain of this team. And when you get to the the middle of the second period and they haven't scored any goals and it's two nothing Toronto or whatever the opposition is at the time, Price is like, okay, I guess I got to make like thirty five saves plus tonight. Like countless times he's won them games last year in the playing round, right? Like this is a guy who is basically he should have the C on his sweater, Carey Price. And yeah, Campbell had that remarkable run in the regular season. But let's see how you perform in the playoffs, man. I'm I'm behind you too. But you also got, you know, Carey Price on the other end of the rink who's knows that every game he's going into, it's it's on me to basically win these games cuz Toronto Montreal can't match up against Toronto uh on the, on the depth chart. Anywhere else they can't. Anywhere else. No, and I think that that's the narrative that I'm seeing all over the place is that Montreal has a chance, but only if Carey Price shows up and is Carey yep. Price from 2016 and not the Carey Price that we've seen over the last several seasons. I think that everybody's kind of, uh, they look at it and they're thinking, oh, you know, there's, it's Carey Price. And you think about the gold medals and you think about, you know, the dominant, you know, Vesno winning seasons where he was just, you know, the best goaltender, one of the best players in the league. Um, and now when you look at it, it's still easy to equate that success, albeit pretty far removed now, uh, from this point to the goaltender. And he had a good stretch last year coming into the bubble, basically uh, turned it on and knocked Pittsburgh out of the out of contention, right out of the gates, and got Montreal through in a situation where they had no business even being in the playoffs. No. But they ended up making it through into the first round, basically off the play of Carey Price. Yeah. So we understand what he's capable of. I just haven't seen it to this point in the season, and I'm not sure that the team is good enough in front of him to support him and keep the scoring chances limited because I don't think he's the he's up to the performance that everybody's touting him, right? He's up to, he's playing at that level that everybody's touting him at. Like he's not like I'm not even certain that he would be in between the pipes for Team Canada today if no. we're playing a game tonight. Regarding the the depth up front, I mean, looking at the the possible, well, most likely the top six, these are the fixed lines. Hyman, Matthews, Marner, Felino, Tavares, and Nylander, which I absolutely adore. Felino and, and Tavares together, I think, can can do wonders in, in the playoffs. And Felino's my X-Factor, by the way. We got to throw in X-Factors at some point on this podcast, Kenny. But the bottom six for the Leafs, I think that third line, Kenny, is the only one that's going to be a, a revolving door, if we will, because that fourth line, I think, is pretty much going to be firmed up in Thornton, Spezza, and Simmons. Now, in turn, looking at the the Habs lines, it looks like Ducharme's going to kind of match uh, their vet line with one of their own, that being Eric Stahl, Corey Perry, and Josh Anderson, a line that I'm kind of centering in as their X factor because, man, like those are two, well, two guys, Perry and Stahl. I guess Stahl has a cup with the Canes back in 06, but... Corey Perry, for instance. Oh, no, he's got a cup with Anaheim, too, right? He does, yeah. True. But, you know what? Everyone wants more chips. And these guys realize they're at the end of their careers, like Spets and like Thornton. So they're going to be just... They're cup-chasing at this point. They're cup-chasing, and they're going to be just driving, like, doing everything they can to just get the Leafs off their game. That's a line. And, and you add Josh Anderson, too, who had a decent year. Maybe not like his Columbus days, but... Great start, man. slow finish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For me, that for me off Anderson. And, yeah, you know, he did have a good start actually. Yeah, and you want to talk about an X factor? Like he he can run around, he can stir up, stir the pot. Uh, physical guy, not the best at creating, 
no. uh, offense for himself. Like he can obviously bury an opportunity if it's there for him, but he's not necessarily a guy that's going to drive the play. Uh, it seems like Toronto is going to go with the third line of Nash, Kerfa, and Mikheyev. Yeah, uh, likely. So checking line, uh, likely I would assume you could see Nash at center there, maybe on the wing. Uh, it's going to be a shutdown line for Toronto, which should alleviate some of the pressure off the top two lines to get more offensive zone starts. Uh, we've noted before that Matthews and Tavares have been among the team's best defensive forwards this year. But that doesn't mean that you want to be starting them in the defensive zone every time because obviously they do their best work on the other end of the ice. Uh, I'll be interested to see what Riley Nash can contribute. Obviously, we haven't Me seen too. him skate really too much. You didn't see a game of NHL action since he came over from Columbus. But I certainly think that he's a player that could have a large impact on this series. Uh, we'll get into the X factor, I suppose, just after this. Um, is there anything else that you want to add? Anything that you've thought about well, in this series? I mean, you mentioned Nick Foligno pairing in on the line with Tavares and Nylander. I think I expect him to have a big series. I also expect the fourth line for Toronto to be pretty impactful with those three vets, Spezza, Thornton, and Simmons. Like They're going to be a real pain in the ass out there. Spezza quietly had a really good offensive year. Thornton, we mentioned, was uh, getting points down the stretch, it seems like, in every game. He had a little eight-game point streak cooking there. And Simmons obviously can change the momentum of a game in a multitude of ways, including but not limiting to but not limited to throwing his body around. Absolutely, man. We know what Wayne Simmons can bring, and in the postseason, it's even scarier. But then that leaves you with some extras in in Engvall and Galchenyuk. And Galchenyuk had a remarkable stretch with the Leafs when he when he came over a couple months ago. So. Again, that third line, I could just see it kind of ever-changing throughout throughout the playoffs because, again, Engvall had a great end to the regular season. He's uh, he's earned a spot, in my opinion. So, you know, Kerfoot, Nash, and Mikheyev, maybe they're going to start with it, tinker things a little bit. But I'd still like to see uh, at least Galchenyuk in there because he, he's been uh, providing a good spark for this club. All right, X-Factor, you said you're going with Nick Foligno? Nicky Foligno. Don't need to explain that one. You know what he did in the playoffs last year against the Leafs playing for Columbus, and hopefully he does the same and more. I'm going with Rasmus Sandin. I think that this player has tremendous upside and can influence the series in ways that a third-pairing defenseman shouldn't be able to influence the series. He's looked strong in his appearances in the NHL, strong in the puck, obviously, makes the right decision. He's got finesse. He's uh, got a really high, high IQ for the game, always seems to make the right play and the smart play, and he's got the skating skills and the puck handling skills to get him out of tight positions when it seems like he could be getting in a little bit of hot water. I really like his insertion into the lineup on that third pairing. I think it gives them a little bit of a different dynamic, and this is a good opportunity for Maple Leaf fans to see what the future is going to look like with him as a key cog in the defense core moving forward. He has been remarkable to watch, man. And I love how Keith is like, here you go, man. I'm going to put you on the top PP unit with the best guys on the team. And I think we're going to see a lot more of him. He, he is an incredible, incredible player to watch. And he's so smart for, for, for his age, Kenny. And, uh, man, that's, that's a good pick. Felino and Sandine, let's roll with it. Should we go to uh, around the league? Give me an X factor for the Canadians. First. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to go with a pair. I'll go with... Uh, Brendan Gallagher, for the reasons that I noted before. I think that he has to be healthy. If he's not, if he's in the lineup, if he's playing injured, he still gives that emotional spark. But the Habs aren't going anywhere unless he's there to drive the play on their first line. He's one of the most dominant players in the league when he's on his game playing on that like that top 
top line with the Canadiens. They dominate possession. I'm also going to go with Caulfield. I think that if Montreal is going to win this series, their biggest struggle is going to be putting the pucks in the back of the net. I know that he hasn't gained the start for game one, but I think that he's going to have to be important for this group to get an easy goal here and there. I know there's no easy goals in the playoffs, but I would expect that we'll see him before the series is over, and I would expect him to have an immediate impact once he's inserted into the lineup. I'm going with Josh Anderson, and remember, that was a one-for-one, Max Domi for Josh Anderson. How much would Max Domi love playing in this series right now, Kenny? He's probably just like, ah, but hey, it is what it is. Josh Anderson's my X-Factor. He loves, loves playing against Toronto. He's originally from Burlington, and I can see him having a, a breakout series. Uh, I will just bring it back to, remember we had Ian Tullock on a while back when we were talking to him about the top lines in the NHL and where Matthews, Hyman, and Marner ranked. He yeah. actually gave a ton of respect to the Montreal Canadiens, saying that Denault, Tatar, and Gallagher was one of the units that he thinks could really give the Leafs trouble come postseason time. So uh, for Leafs fans, you don't hope for somebody to be injured, but obviously Gallagher being out of the lineup would be a big, big sigh of relief for the Toronto faithful heading into game one. He, he is so important to, to the Habs, Kenny. If he doesn't play at all, I think the Leafs sweep them. Honestly. Like, he, he is the heart and soul of that hockey club. And when you ha- when you take out Gallagher and Weber for a few games and, like, Price isn't playing, it's like, what is this team? This is an affiliate team. And I'm, I'm sure Habs Knightley and Zach Cook and all the Habs fans are just, like, eating me alive right now. But it's true. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's be yeah. honest. Because all you guys have been saying all week is that you're a more physical team. You're not. You're actually not a more physical team. You just have to say that because you don't have a goddamn identity. They really yeah. don't. And they don't have saying- an identity. Saying that uh, they're a more physical team and they're going to muck up the series against Toronto doesn't scare me as much as it would have in past years. No, Toronto has the answers this year, and also, like, what? What you want to get Austin Matthews pissed off and running around? Like, he doesn't get pissed off five, really with that six five two thirty two forty frame. Oh, I've seen him get pissed off in a battle with Shea Weber, and he parked him on his ass behind the net. Like but he doesn't like loot. Like he's yeah. He's just like he just knows. He's like all right. Like you guys got to do this to yeah, try and I'm, stay yeah, in I'm it. I'm gonna hurt you with. Uh, gonna hurt you with my stick. A highlight real cool. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I'm not gonna try to out physical you, or play uh, more physically than you. Yeah. It's a. It, it's the narrative is annoying, because Toronto has changed their identity this season. They have a bigger back end. They have a more physical back end. They've got more veteran leadership, and they have pieces in place that can play that style of game. So it's a, it's a lazy narrative to me saying, oh, Montreal is like so much more physical and they're going to gum it up. Like, shut up. Let's go to around the league. Please. Okay, I want to start because I wanted to put you on the spot, Kenny. Can you name all the former Leafs that are currently playing in the playoffs right now? Off the top of your head. I believe there's five. I did this with my dad the other day. <laughs> all the former Leafs. Yeah. Um, all right, so the, like the obvious one would be Kadri in Colorado. Yep. Uh, you got Bozak for the St. Louis Blues, Avi. Uh, you got yes, Uncle Uncle Leo Komarov would be playing for the Isles. Yes, sir. Um, the for who the did we trade for Malgin was it Marchment? Is that his oh, name? that's I wasn't even thinking about him. Yeah, he yeah, he had yeah. a goal last night. Yeah, he, uh, yeah in he, a three-one loss. Yeah, he found the score sheet. So that's another former Maple Leaf. So maybe you missed one with your pops. I did. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't thinking of Mason Marchment. Uh, who else? I don't know. You you might have to help me out on the rest. Kapanen, Penguins. Oh yeah. yeah and true. I believe I believe that's it. Oh, Jake Gardner on Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, not yeah. bad. Pretty good. Uh, Pretty good. Speaking of which, 
Um, Carolina up one nothing in, in Nashville. I mean, we don't spend a ton of time on this series. It was basically, I think the final score in game one was 5-2. to two. Uh, I expect Carolina to steamroll the Preds. We both picked Carolina to win this series in our preview, and it seems like they're well on their way after game one. I didn't pick Carolina. I said don't sleep on the Preds, but obviously Carolina's better on paper. I'd love to see the Preds steal this series, man. Yeah, well, they're going to have their work cut out for them. I just think that they're an inferior group. Washington-Boston, this is basically as advertised. uh, 1-1. Boston, I thought, in the last game was the more dominant team, though. It seems like their top players showed up, and once you get, like, all those top guys cooking on the Bruins, it's it's big trouble. Like, they're not called to the perfection line for no reason. Uh, Brad Marchand... I saw a stat that was showing his, you know, regular season numbers over the last five, five years and his postseason numbers, and basically this guy's like a point of game player when it comes come playoff time. So one of the most dominant players in the league, um, Taylor Hall, obviously finding his stride. Uh, that series is as advertised. Uh, your boy Matt Labelle, if you want to throw out the tweet of the day, uh, was tweeting out that anybody in Boston who's complaining that Zidane Chara is playing dirty hockey, deserves a hot bowl of New England clam chowder poured on their head. Oh, I could go for that. they were not happy. <laughs> the Bruins fans were not happy with Big Z's antics. I'm just like, this guy has been doing that for you for the last 15 years. Yeah. You know who loved his chowder when he would uh, go to Boston? is Mike Babcock. Just crushing clam chowder in the <laughs> consort bar or some equivalent. I gotta be honest, I love a bowl of New England clam chowder. It has to be the New England one though. Like I like the white cream base with the potatoes, the bacon. Like that's the good stuff. I'm not a big fan of the Manhattan style with uh, the tomato yeah, sauce. That I can, love clam that, chowder. That can take a seat on the bench. Yes. Yeah, that can be our, our sixth man, I guess. <laughs> sixth man of the year. Uh, Colorado, St. Louis. Uh, again, top players for the Avs. Top players. Uh, in that game, Rantanen, Landeskog, McKinnon, uh, just basically dominating St. Louis. This team, this is a series which I expect to be fairly lopsided. St. Louis might steal a game, but uh, Colorado is, as advertised, the best team in the league by a lot of people's metrics, and they certainly uh, showed that in game one. Yes, sir. Uh, Vegas, Minnesota, good for Mini for taking one in Vegas. That was crucial. Man, because Flurry, I believe, I believe Vegas uh, won one nothing last night behind Flurry's thirty-five save shutout. So they could have been in a two nothing hole like like Florida. Man, when you get into those two nothing holes, man, does it just rip your heart out sometimes? Like you just, the hole just seems to be growing larger. So good on Mini. They're a sneaky team. I think it was uh yeah it was one nothing for Minnesota in game one, and then Vegas came back with a big effort three uh, one win over Minnesota in the last game so uh yeah just one goal against for Marc-Andre Fleury very impressive gotcha uh, gotcha. very impressive for Vegas to climb back into that one Uh, quietly Minnesota's played really well against Vegas this year they actually had the advantage in the season series so although the advanced metrics and everybody's saying you know Vegas is the better team on paper they obviously have the star power with Stone, Carlson, uh, Petrangelo, Fleury, but don't sleep on Minnesota. They're going to make this a difficult series for Vegas and certainly tied 1-1. Uh, now it goes for a pivotal game three back in Minnesota. Uh, we mentioned earlier Tampa Bay up 2-0 on Florida. Uh, this one hits me hits me hard because I really thought that Florida had an opportunity to me knock too. off the defending champs. Uh, you got to feel, though, going down 2-0. Uh, the Lightning with Kucherov back. Uh, it really seems like... 
now it's going to be a foregone conclusion that Tampa Bay is going to finish them off unless Florida can find some way to bounce back and win a pair of games on the road, which seems unlikely at this juncture. And the final one before we quickly touch on the lone Canadian game going tonight, Pittsburgh and New York Islanders, which is tied one apiece. Kyle Palmieri in game one of this series, like my goodness, you talk about a trade deadline acquisition paying dividends. He scores the first goal of the game and then he scores the game winner in overtime for the Islanders. Yeah, unbelievable, like great pickup, making Bobby Lou look like a genius. He always seems to add the right players at the trade deadline. Obviously, Palmieri, one of his boys from uh, his tenure in New Jersey, along with uh, Travis Zajac, both acquisitions at the trade deadline. Uh, And then Pittsburgh comes back in the second game. This is going to be a hard-fought series. We talked about uh, how the Islanders, rather, I was going to say how Montreal likes to gum it up. Uh, In a similar way, the Islanders are a very defensive-oriented team. They don't give you a lot very easily. Um, I don't believe that Malkin has made an appearance yet in this series. I think he's still on the IR. So impressive for Pittsburgh to do it without their second-best player in the lineup. But Crosby like, was on an absolute heater down the stretch, so he's going to be tough to contain for the Isles. Now here's a center matchup, Kenny. Connor McDavid versus Mark Shifley. Now in the regular season, McDavid dummied the Jets. I believe he's, he had or tallied the most points against the Jets the most out of any other team in the Scotia North. So that's going to be a, a thrilling series, man. Edmonton, Winnipeg. Woo! It'll be a good series. I, I got to be honest. Like I, I've been looking at the numbers as far as Shifley versus McDavid. I think that this is the worst matchup that Winnipeg could have gotten in the first round because they don't have anybody that can match up with 97 in Edmonton. No one like, can. Well, nobody can match up like Matthews can. Like, say what you will, it's not like you're going to contain him on every night. But the bottom line is is that you need your top line to be able to at least slow him down. Edmonton has just run rickshaw over the Jets. And I believe that in the head-to-head matchup, McDavid's line has outscored Shifley's line 5-on-5. Five five. It's something to the tune of like 8-2 to two or 9-2. to two. In the head-to-head matchup, Shifley just can't match up defensively. Obviously, his offensive numbers aren't enough to keep up with the horsepower that McDavid and Dryside will have if they're playing together. Albeit, it's like oftentimes they're on different lines. This is just a, a nightmare matchup for the Jets. They haven't been able to contain him all year, and I feel like for Edmonton, as a team that's so top-heavy, and they're going to be relying on those two players. This is a good matchup for them because their two players have been as dominant against this team than they have against anybody in the division. Yeah, and obviously, though, a more appealing matchup to promote than Matthews versus Deneau. You know, you got you to say Shifley versus McDavid. It still, it yeah. sounds better was, was it, my point. It, it, it sounds better, and you know, a lot of people aren't into the advanced metrics, so like, you could still market that matchup. Uh, yeah. Not that I'm like overly into it, but just looking at – like the head-to-head matchup, I feel like this is not favorable for Winnipeg. They're really going to need to take advantage of um, the secondary matchups in that series. Expect Kyle Connor, uh, Nikolai Ehlers, maybe to have big series for the Jets if Wheeler and Scheifler are seeing the majority of the McDavid matchup. Let's go to the bar. You got me sitting at a bar on the inside, waiting for my ride on the outside. She stole my heart in the trailer park, so I jacked the all right, B-Mac, who you got? 
All right, I'm going with uh, Shohei Otani. I think he is just an absolute stud, and you know him well, Kenny. He is a uh, dominant two-way player in, in the majors, leads the league in home runs with 14, and he's got a 2.10 ERA. And you know who else has a 2.10 ERA in the league? Guys like Trevor Bauer and Max Scherzer. This guy, like, and now that Mike Trout went down six to eight weeks with a calf strain, like, if I'm, uh, uh, who, who, who's the manager? Madden? It's like, Shohei, this is your team now, buddy. Like, keep doing what you're doing. Keep raking. Like, it, every, every, like, every plate appearance is must-see TV. Like, I got MLB TV, so I can tune into any game. If I see Otani's at the dish, like, everyone a should media, be tuning media in. Media channel flip. It's a, like, it's like when Vladi's at the dish, man. It's just like an immediate, okay, I'm Are watching this for a couple they're playing, minutes. They're playing him in the outfield now, aren't they? I'm like, I'm, I, like, I'm, I don't follow, like, obviously I've seen Otani's numbers. What, what, what he's doing is He's all remarkable. over the place, man. Like, nobody, like, nobody's been able to do this, like, I think since, like, leading the, the league in, like, ERA with, like, that many dingers. It's insane. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and now it's like, well, how do you keep this guy out of the lineup, even on days where he's not pitching? It's like you're trying to find him a home where he can still influence the influence the game from the batter's box because he's been that effective. Absolutely outstanding from yeah. Shohei Otani this season. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, I go with uh, Toronto Raptors player. I mean, we actually just finished up our season on TSN ten fifty. So big shout out to the whole broadcast crew there for a tremendous season. Uh, definitely learned a lot and grew a lot in that role. I'm going to go with Raptors president Masai Ujiri, who had his season-ending media availability actually on Tuesday. This guy is going to be one of the most coveted free agents now available. And I can't remember there ever being a front office persona who is going to be pursued as much as Masai Ujiri is going to be pursued by other franchises this offseason. Certainly, he's going to be having a cocktail at the bar, reviewing his multitude of options, whether it is he wants to stay in the NBA to go to a different organization, whether he wants to stay in Toronto for a couple more years and try to rebuild. Um, it certainly seems like my gut is telling me that he did what he needed to do in Toronto. He came here. He built it into a contender seven straight years into entering the playoffs. Um, six straight Atlantic division championships obviously culminated with the 2019 NBA championship. I'm not sure what else you can accomplish in Toronto. It was a remarkable, remarkable achievement. And I would hate to make this assumption for Raptors fans, but I assume that he's going to be reviewing some fairly big contract offers, which MLSCA surely will match. But unfortunately for the Raptors, they aren't going to be able to match the prestige of uh, a team like the Lakers or like the Knicks, who almost certainly will be, drawing up paperwork for the Raptors presence. And a little promising at the end of the the media session too. He said, I'm gonna get on the phone with Trudeau right now and basically force him to allow us to play in Toronto next year. So <laughs> I'm sure everybody loved that, as did I, because I, I yeah, love Masai man. man. I, I hope he stays and he even he got a little too. emotional too. Like it was just it kind of hit home there. But yeah. Let, get on the get phone with JT though. and figure it out. I hate seeing them getting emotional, though, because it seems like when they're getting emotional, it's because they know that something is coming to an end. Good point. Yeah, and I can't imagine. I can't imagine that it wouldn't have the deal wouldn't have been done already. I know that both sides uh, are doing the politically correct thing, sort of saying we aren't going to discuss it until the end of the season. But like, I don't know if I want to stay somewhere, I'll iron out a deal 
like then and there. Yeah. I'm not saying that he doesn't want to stay there. I'm just saying that it seems like he's going to have a multitude of options and it would be silly of him not to at least explore what could be the next step in his career. And I wish him all the best. If he decides to stay in Toronto, I would be over the moon. But he deserves everything that's coming to him, and the city of Toronto will always have the 2019 NBA championship, something that had never happened before in franchise history. So. Yeah, which is two years out, by the way, everybody. There were so many times this year where people were just shredding the Raptors. I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> this city sometimes. I love, like, I'll never forget, like, when, so when Van Vliet, like, just, like, a wasted Van Vliet at the parade, like, you know, we remember when you guys were eating us alive and we got swept by the Wizards. Like, he just was giving it to the fans. And I think he, like, I don't know, maybe went over the top a little much because they ultimately did just win. And I think there was, like, a few boos from the crowd. Because <laughs> Van Vliet was basically like, yeah, like, oh, my God, this is great. But also just like, who are you guys? Like, enjoy this. Enjoy it this entire summer because we might not get it again. And it's looking like it's uh, entering rebuild mode fully now. So. Hey, Freddie Van Fleet as well uh, was saying during his end of season availability on Sunday that if Kyle Lowry is the best Raptor of all time, which certainly a lot of people put him on that pedestal, that Masai Ujiri likely is the second best Raptor of all time. Yes, yes. Uh, I was like, I give them so much credit. It's true. Like you never see a front office uh, persona or a front office figure. Uh, be on the forefront of an organization the way that Ujiri has in Toronto. So kudos to him for what he's been able to build and wishing him all the best into his next endeavor, whether that's in Toronto or elsewhere. BMAC, you have some plans over May 2-4, so you won't be able to join me for the next episode, but luckily I have booked our good friends and co-host of Maple Leafs Game Nights, Ross Levitan, to join. We'll be recording that episode, I believe, on Sunday for release on Monday. So we will be uh, sneaking in analysis after games one and two before the back-to-back in games three and four, which then I believe will also be recording on the Tuesday morning. So we'll have analysis for you after games one and two, and then after game three. Uh, and You're heading up to the cottage to enjoy some much-deserved time off this weekend? Yeah, it's been a grind of late, and I, I know people use that word loosely, but it has been, especially with those night shifts. You know all about it, Kenny. It can, so it can be late. I just need to kind of like wind down, put the phone away, put the feet up and enjoy some time off because I need it. I feel like, man, I actually took um, Monday, Tuesday off this week to get some stuff done around the house. Uh, my girlfriend and I were able to break some serious ground on our back patio. Got the flower planters up, got everything planted. Uh, we're doing nice. some in the front garden. So we will be ready to go. And, uh, once Dougie Ford gives the green light, I believe I owe you a couple IPAs, so you're welcome to come over and cash in on those on the patio at the soonest availability. I can't wait, man. Can't wait. Thank, thank you for listening to episode 48, which is which player, BMAC? Jeremy Williams. Jeremy Williams, the Jeremy Williams edition of Leafspot. Uh, throw us a follow on Twitter, at Ken Stapon, at McCarthy 95 at Leafspot, at HockeyPodNet. Enjoy the postseason game one, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>